Welcome to the first episode of Sweat and Grime with me, your host, Brian, and your co-host, Rick. Rick. Go for it. Introduce yourself, Rick. Hey, guys. I am Rick, and I am the co-host of Sweat and Grime. And we have no idea what we're doing. We literally just sat down here. We've got some new toys to play with here. Got some headphones on, microphone. Yeah. So... We're going we're gonna to try our best at making a decent podcast for you guys that, that is kind of geared. In fact, Rick stated it perfectly. We want to go for a Howard Stern-like feel where we will chat about bullshit 99% of the time. Correct, and get them involved any which way we can. Yeah, and then, and then we'll also have guests on, but they're going to be geared towards the trades. And I do want to be clear that this is, while, while Diesel and Iron, if you don't know about the Diesel and Iron channel, uh, I do have a YouTube channel called Diesel and Iron that is focused on the earth moving industry. That's how Rick and I know each other. We actually work together and and you'll see Rick all the time on the channel when we're working together. Um, but all that to say, this is not a podcast geared towards the excavating industry. Uh, this is going to be a podcast that's geared towards the skilled trades in general. So our goal is to get other contractors like HVAC, plumbing, pipe fitters, uh, I mean, you name it, welders, mechanics. We want to get those guys on here to talk about how to get into those industries and what's involved and, and just stuff like that. Yeah, so. we want the full story from the know-hows to the what happens and the WTF moments. Like, Well, and the most important thing, how much do you get paid? Like, yeah, that's right. That's what, that's what it's all about is a the lot. money. There's yeah. a lot. I mean, you start at the bottom, you know, you're working for peanuts. You get to the top and they're driving... Pretty nice diesel Denali's and, you know, some pretty nice vehicles, man. And just so you guys know, Rick did just say, working for peanuts, not penis. <laughs> <laughs> so so I just want to make make that clear. Yeah, we're, we're trying not to go that yeah, way. Yeah, we're not going to go that direction on I mean, the show, at least. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it, it really depends what kind of audience we attract here, so... Uh, <laughs> You know? <laughs> so uh, all that being said, for our first episode, I thought we could just kind of walk the listeners through kind of our backstory, how you got into the industry. How so we if, met. Yeah, how we met. Kind of if you want to kind of take the the wheel on that one, how did you originally <laughs> way back in the day get into the industry and kind of. I was forced. I was forced. <laughs> you were one of those uh, guys. Child labor. Yeah. I started out at uh, seven years old working for the family. Um, I actually come really interested in it. Like I would actually blow off friends as I got older to go to work with the family. And just to be clear, you were logging. This <laughs> I was, was not logging. excavating. This was a straight full blown logging. Uh, I was loading trucks by eight years old to the point the, my old man would just run off the truck drivers if they'd jump in the machine. Cause you know, that little kid wasn't going to load me. And he said, ah, you're not going to tear up my loader. And I would load it three times faster than the regular truck driver. So uh, that's kind of how I got my start into the industry. And then obviously I was cutting trees by the age of 13. Um, real life shit. It was fun. Yeah. Um, running skitters. Got my uh, farm CDL by the age of 18. Where that's not like a full-blown CDL, but you could drive a 200-mile radius from farm to farm. So, so 200 miles, it's technically not a CDL, but it's pretty much a CDL. Well, it's a farm, so, <laughs> right? It's the way the crow flies, so right. I could actually start at point A, and that would be considered a job. Well, agricultural, you move job to job. Yep. So if you ever got pulled over, you had to remember 
which job and which direction you were going to. Like the so two you were still yards. within the 200 miles. Correct. I mean, we might do 350, which is a long span in Michigan, but you know, if you're, if you're traveling from Sandusky for some odd reason, you like, you went and picked something up and you had a farm CDL and the DOT boy pulled you over. Like you had to remember where you it's were like, going. Oh, no, I'm just coming from like 20 miles down the road. Our other right, job We're site. getting off here at Frankenbooth. Yeah. And we're going down yeah. to the job Not, here. So. No big deal. Nothing to see. Right. So, you know, <laughs> the EDL logs and all that whole other topic down the road one day. Um. So, yeah, I grew up logging. It it was a dark to dark business. My old man would wake me up about four in the morning, drag me out of bed. I'd sleep all the way to the job. And uh, I was getting paid really well actually for a young child and uh doing a full-blown man's job i mean i'd sit there 12 14 hours a day with the gentleman working and i came really good come really knowledgeable and i picked it up quick so So, when did you convert over to the dirt world uh when i wanted to buy a pickup truck oh yeah so (laughs) you know uh it was good but uh, it was like if you weren't either doing school, sports, working, there was no other life besides more chores at the family house. So I was like, ah, I'm going to go get a job and get paid to do these chores. So I right. went down to the excavating company at age 14, 15, right around there. Yep. Started out laboring. I walked in and said, hey, I need a job. Live right down the road. You could pick me up uh, on the weekend or <clears throat> after school, however, and. Started off washing equipment to laboring on the weekends. And then, I mean, one thing after another, I got into it to labor and installing pipes, the basement. Uh, Once in a while, like, I'd get a chance on their machine. And uh, I started actually staying after jobs, after work, for free, uh, running equipment. And, like, that was the only way I was going to ever get anywhere because 15 years old, dude, who's going to put you on the machine? Sure. But uh, by the age of 18, I was digging basements, running sewer crews. Uh, the day after high school, I started my job full-time. And one thing left to another. And I never looked back. It was just a lot of work. And it was like insane money because you're 18 years old. And it's like, right. wow, I could go put in 85 hours this week and sell my soul to the devil, which would be the dollar. Right. And come back with like. Six hundred fifty, eight hundred dollars. I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" Yeah, especially at that age, it's yeah. like you're rolling in money. And that was way before like cell phones were expensive. Yeah, you know. So, but I had to buy a truck. Had to pay for a lot of my own stuff. My parents were like, "Well, you earn it, go yeah. buy it. So yeah. spend your own money, and you owe me rent." Yeah. So nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was. I grew up real quick. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I. I came really good, really knowledgeable, got moved over to, like I said, full-time excavating. And I was like, hey, I want the foreman truck. And uh, couldn't ever get the foreman truck by just saying, hey, boss, I'm better than so-and-so. But, you know, you start figuring out a sense of, like, your value at a certain age and certain skill set. Like, why am I working on Saturday on overtime making... uh, 19 bucks an hour then and you're at honcho you know the foreman was making i don't know probably 28 27 yep he wasn't working saturday right right so i'm sitting there starting to get this whole math together then like a couple months later after all these 
months and years went by, uh, you started sitting there going, huh. I'd look over and see uh, Charles basically was his name. I had seen Charles there digging one basement. I'm digging two. Yeah. I wonder I'm working Saturday. You but know. he's also making more money. Correct. Yeah. You know, he wanted the icing off the cake, but he didn't, he didn't, didn't want to put make in the, the work cake. to make yeah. it. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, man, hey, I want more money. I wasn't even asking like substantial. I was like, pay me 21 bucks an hour. Yep. Well, back then, it was like an insult compared to today's market. It was an insult to ask for a raise. Like, I'll give you the raise, young kid, when you're ready, you know? Yeah, I'm going to decide when you're ready for the raise. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So I'm like, hey, if you don't give me the raise. I'm out. I'm out. Yep. And so, you know, basically back then, the big man syndrome, they call your bluff. Well, I'd go down the road. And I went to South Hill Construction, Jim and Bob Harris back in the day. And that's where I started building roads. Was that here in Michigan? Yeah. Okay. So they were out of Wixom. Yep. They built like South Lion. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were huge. And uh, I, I pulled in there to one day, and Jim was Jim was uh, walking out the door, real real shrewd dude, like he knew his shit, but just shrewd. Yep. And then you got Bob, which <laughs> Bob was just like this big poofball, like like the comedian uh, Gabriel, Gabriel. Oh, Gabriel Iglesias, yeah, just fluffy. like him, yeah, fluffy. <laughs> you know, the he 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 he. This dude's worth like millions, you know. And <laughs> I could walk it in, and I'm like, hey, Bob. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, can I have a meeting with you? Ah, you're going to have to talk to my secretary. And he's like cracking jokes and stuff. And yep. so I fill out this application, you know, and I'm God, I don't know, 20, like I said, 21 years old. It's been a while. Yeah. And I'd put like 12 years experience, on there, yeah. you know, which you started at 18. Right. And so he just called me in the one day and said, ah, so you got 12 years experience, but you're only 21 years old. I'm like, yeah, I started at seven. Yeah. Well, Technically you know, can't count it. <laughs> right. So, but I had the knowledge, right? right? So I was like, yeah, you can't technically count it, but I would, I would walk up to him and go, well, how about I work a week for you for free? And if you don't like me, you don't pay me. Yeah. But if you like me, you're going to pay I'm, me for the week. I'm seeking $22 an hour back then. Yeah. Like, that's how I got my pay raise. Yep. And sure as shit, come Friday, you know, here come a paycheck. All right. So I started gaining traction while I was young, but I knew a lot. And I was cocky then because I was younger, right? The big ball syndrome kind yep. of thing. But uh, I took the foreman's job, which was Bill Gillis. And he, dude, just couldn't wait to fire me. So it's just like you ever feel the eyes just burning the back of your yeah. head like just, your skull's on make, fire make one mistake yeah. yeah just make one mistake like yep. don't fire the son's kid for smoking weed right. down the road in the <laughs> right, off-road right. truck like he's but waiting heaven for forbid you. you do something you're not supposed to right yep. so i'm 21 years old and i'm putting roads to finish gray we're red top blue topping and uh he just couldn't wait which just for people i know they're out there people who don't know what red topping and blue topping is explain that one real quick so I got to remember which colors, but basically the red, the red top was basically like a rough. So we would get it to within a half tenth, tenth before you actually had to get precise and blue top. Um, so if like rain was coming in, we would red top the road for all week before we actually got into like the fine details where you start spending a bunch more money of like, hey, this is where. Everything matters. Yep. This was before GPS. Like every, right. everybody had it in the seat of their pants and yeah. the hands, the eyes. It's 
The old timers are just awesome. Yeah. So I got to grow up on the bottom limb of that. And uh, so you learned to red top. You'd basically, they'd pound hubs in once you cut, uh, before, like we had, we had a grade tracker, an eye, yeah, uh, yeah, eye like level. Little, yeah, eye level. Yep. Yeah. And then basically like a make shit grade pole, which was uh, like a tape ruler that yep. you'd fold out. Yep. And the guy knew looking on flat ground, he shoots five, eight or five, seven, whatever your eye height was. Right. Kind of like a laser instrument. But so the great guy would go down and mark the offsets to like his eye level and where we were at. And once we had um, the road cut to where it needed to be, then they would actually come in, set hubs and you would cut to the hubs, excuse me, with uh, like little red feathers. And that was red top. Yep. So, and then, like I said, you go do a mile or two predicting the rain before you were ready to start paving. Then you'd come in and you would blue top it, which was like set by the surveyors, which was like dead nuts. Re- Yeah, real precise. <laughs> You're correct. So yep. you weren't blowing a bunch of money and whatever. So I had learned to do that. Um, and I remember the one time, because that's when text messaging came with the flip phones. Like you push yep. a button like 30 freaking times yeah, to get, to get the letter. Out. Oh God. What was it? T nine or whatever it's called. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. The throwaway phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one step up from, and from putting in your password yeah. with a remote control. <laughs> yeah. So like my grandpa called or something the one time and, um, I was running the hollow truck cause Bill just got bored. Like I took over his job and cause like I told, um, Bob, you know, pay me what I'm worth or get out. Well, I was, 22 bucks an hour is quite a bit of money back in the day for yeah. building roads and whatnot. And I think they topped out about 28. And uh, so he just couldn't wait. Like, it took a job over. The guy just couldn't hang and be a foreman. Like, he just, he wanted to just sit on his bulldozer. Yeah. Red top, blue top, hog top soil. Like, he didn't care. Yeah. You know. And there's guys out there that are like that. They just. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't want to run don't... the job. Like, the guy that was in the right. off-road truck ran the job. Yep. You know, there's a lot of guys out there like that, where at the end of the day, even though they've got the ability to run the job, they just don't want to. They just want to sit in a seat and run. Yeah, but equipment. that goes with like all trades, like not just us and sure this atmosphere, but you see it like you're out there and you just see these guys making, you know, they're making buku bucks. I imagine he was around 80, 90 grand running multi-million dollar jobs down yeah. the road. And a dude just wanted to sit there doing a $22 an hour, $25 an hour job. Right. But make the big bucks. Right. And, you yep. know, those back in the day for me was like the drive. I want his job plus the cake and the ice yeah. icing too, you know? Yep. So, um, he couldn't wait for me to mess up one day. Like it was just total blow. Like I took off on the road and I was just hogging ditches and had the 966 coming down and excavators there. And they, they were the company that ran like link belt style controls. Oh no shit. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> he couldn't wait for me to, mess up right so my grandpa called the one time and um i couldn't text him so i answered the phone which back then was pretty frowned upon yeah that was a big no so i answered his telephone and i i look in the mirror and here he comes like right around the truck and lunch just got over like five minutes ago yep well i had the radio off the cb off in the truck so he he just couldn't wait you know and here he come and I, i'm just getting off the phone Bill rope, rips open the door and he's like, you're fired. I'm like, for what? Yeah. Lunch was over five minutes ago. And I'm like, I'm sitting behind the other hauled truck. Like 
waiting to get loaded right, here. Yeah. You what, know what was the big problem? Because I didn't have the radio on. He uh, was just yeah. seeking to get rid yep, of me, right? Because yep. he's seen a replacement. Right. You're sixty, and I was twenty-one. So back then, right, the big age gap was like kind of like what the kids see these days, but way harder. Yep. Like they, they were old school. Like get the fuck out of oh, here. Oh yeah, you didn't get a second chance. There was <laughs> right. you were just out. So fuck then, you. so then I had to go back to the office and big old fluffy's there and you know he's yeah i heard uh old bill you know he's kind of honored well why don't you go work on my other crew all right so that's jim jim's crew and that's his brother jim i'm like oh yeah okay so i'm sitting there just 21 years old man come rolling in like what what do you guys need me to do you know yep and jim comes jim comes up and they're having their big old powwow and i'm like hey so about all this this is what happened. He's like, I don't give a shit. I don't like Bill. That's why Bill runs that crew. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna run this D six here. And if you ever leveled a bunch of roads for haul trucks all day long, it's miserable. Yeah, in an open boring. cab, absolutely boring. Dust everywhere. Yeah. And back then they would move miles of road with like twelve haul trucks. Yeah. So you were blazing roads, eating dust. Yeah. You know. So. Um. Yeah. So I went there to. Oh, you could run an excavator. So, yeah. And they had the link belt controls. Like, you push and pull, and that's how you swing. And the left was your bucket, curl and dump. And your right was the boom, up and out and stick in and out. Yeah. We got Milford Excavating right up the road here. They still... Milford Excavating is the Harris's brothers. Oh, is it really? Yeah, same with C&E Boring. Yep. That's another Harris brother. No shit. So, Milford Excavating is the Harris's. They all run. Yeah. Link belt control still. And they can't find anybody because no one knows how to run it. So, get a load of this. (laughs) Here come come Bill and Bob down the road, and Bob's showing Bill, like, what they're going to do. So, Jim was, like, the development side. We put the pipe in. Bob was the bulldoze inside where they built the roads and did the land balance. And, you know, I could see him just pointing the finger up at me, you know, like I should, they should have just got rid of me. And I'm like, yeah, I could run that excavator. So I go run this 385 in these haul trucks, you know, thinking I'm just going to go bomb some haul trucks. I knew what was up. Yep. I jumped in that machine and I grab all the controls and the cab starts spinning in circles. And, you know, I didn't know what was going on. So, I finally realized that these controls were just They're nothing not, yeah. I ever even had. Yeah. So I half-assed made a pile or got a pad to get yeah. on the pile. And here come these old haul trucks, dude. And I'm messing with the bucket, trying to figure all this out. And here comes this haul truck back on up to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. And I load the first one. I'm like, all right, that wasn't too yeah. bad, but awkward. So I'm I like, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> Well, if you ever get like eight yards in a bucket, a 385 just doesn't stop, especially with like link belt controls. Yeah. When you let go, but you realize you're still swinging. Yeah. And I thought a little I was momentum putting, on that machine. Yeah, I thought I was putting a <laughs> stick out, and here they come down the road, dude. I flipped one of those like what are they 848 or 748 haul trucks right over. No post, shit. Box and all, dude. Wow. Drug the cab sideways like the. Yeah, uh, the driver was fine. It drugged the front tires down, but it flipped his haul truck. Like, oh shit! Yeah, so that was my uh, South Hill days. Yeah, and then was uh, that the end of your South? Almost, <laughs> almost. Uh, <coughs> so I got stuck out um, working with them for a while, and I told them how much pipe experience I had, which back then wasn't really a lot, but to me, I had enough to be better than the guy that you have in the machine. Sure. So. 
And I kept saying, if you guys would just plumb these things to... So regular, non-crazy... Standard. Controls? Yeah. yeah so yeah. now nah, we couldn't do it. Well, the machine went down. 345 went down, and then uh, no one could run it. Here come this new 345. With regular controls? Oh, I was the man. Yeah. I show up, and they couldn't run, and I said, ah, oh, so you want me to finish this road? Yep. You know, and I need a couple more dollars an hour. Yeah. Right? So... <laughs> They they put me in the they put me in the machine. I didn't get my money, but uh, you come part of the crew. Like after a while, I got done building that road, developing it for them and stuff. And uh, back then, dude, we, they would bring beer every day. They'd ship a guy in the truck. They'd go get dinner and beer, and it was like a camaraderie. Back yeah, then. you'd all hanging around yeah. the tailgate of the truck, drinking beers, and yeah. shooting the shit together. Yeah, but I mean, they get shit faced drunk. Yeah, yeah, and then I'll drive home. Right, <laughs> but it was okay then. I, yeah, you no know? one cared. No one gave a shit. <laughs> we're, back then. we're building your road. Don't yeah. mess with me. Yeah. But uh, so you come part of them. Unfortunately, I didn't get to drink with them all because I was too young. But just the hanging out and like the bonding and the experience of just the older men like taking you under your wing because you were pretty. Uh, knowledgeable and humble yep. with your skill set. And then uh, from there, I actually went to XPEC, which is inner city contracting. Oh, yeah. And um, got a pay raise, a couple of dollars an hour, went there, went to basement production basically for, uh, we were doing Habitat Humanity, a lot of like rip down, rebuild Detroit, all this government yep. crap. And uh, it was fun. Like, Driving an escalator right through downtown Detroit, you know, just tracking under the all the power lines, power and lines, yeah. and then crushing houses. Like it was fun. Yeah, I uh, did that for a few years. Went out to Colorado. Um, that's really where I separated um, the knowledge and skill set that I had. And I went from uh, being there one operator that just applied for a job. Like I went out there on a limb. So, uh, how long had you been in the industry when you went to Colorado? I was 23, so actually, if you count just 18. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. So I was young. Uh, the economy crashed, and I was like, hey, I'm going to take off. So is this like 2007-ish? <clears throat> yeah, right around there. Okay. Um, so I was a lead foreman over here for XPEC back in the day, and uh, Doug was like, God, he had to be around 45, 50 with a couple kids and whatnot. And I was still shacking up at home, paying rent. And um, the economy was slowing down, which I could bulldoze. I could excavate. You know, I could drive truck, all that good stuff. So I came very um, valued at a certain company. Yep. But uh, when everything started slowing down, you could read the writing on the wall. And I just had a buddy go out to Colorado. He's like, he's a plumber out there and they're doing all wild and crazy stuff. And Jerry calls me in the one day and says, Hey, we're going to have to let Doug go. And I said, oh, we can't let Doug go. And he says, well, we're going to have to let him go. We're slowing down. I said, he has two kids. Yeah. And I was young. He yep. says, he's got two kids. You can't just let this man go. And he right. says, well, unfortunately this is business and you're more value to me than him. Yeah. You could rough grade bulldoze, yeah. finish grade backfill. A bigger skill set. Yeah, yeah. You know, I could run jobs and excavate. And I was like, you can't do this to this man. He's right. been he's been there the whole time. Yeah. I've been there. Yep. Well, we're gonna have to let him go. And I said, I'm gonna quit. Yeah. That's what I did. I said, You can't let him go. He's got a family. I'm like, I'm living at home, dude. 
So that's when you went to Colorado. Yeah. So I literally quit a phenomenal job and I was like, I'm out. Yeah. And I think Doug did make it through the slowdown. Um, but he actually got injured on the job somehow and got let go disability kind of gotcha that way. So yeah, so I moved out. Um, I just couldn't crush the man's spirit, so I moved uh willingly. And um I went out to Colorado in Glenwood Springs and I was an operator there for about a month before I became a superintendent of basically running 150 guys, which was way more than I ever expected. Yeah. Um, but I knew it all back then, at least I thought, right. And then you get your ass handed to you. Like, you know, you don't know shit. That's one thing about this industry is the second you think, you know, anything, all of a sudden you get a nice little humility gut punch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I knew enough, like I did a lot and the help out there compared to here is like night and day. Like your C D plus crews here was their a crew. Oh no shit. It was that bad. Yeah. So when I showed up, it was like, you know, you knew somebody came to town yeah. like the old Western. Yeah. I didn't really catch on to that. Um, so I went from running pipe in the ground to developing some subdivisions. <clears throat> I was, Offered actually multiple jobs from companies out there because they were seeking good help. Yeah. And um, I went up, built the Viceroy Hotel out in Snowmass, and that's where like PCL to Canada, which is worldwide, that built everything. They tried to drag me in, but I didn't want to travel the world being in the construction trades forever. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we went out there, and, I mean, it was like six days a week running 80 men on that job. Went out to Aspen Airport, did the extension runway out there, um, part of the parking, and it was pretty cool. I had to go get, like, some aviation thing so I could drive out on the yeah. runway or whatever. Like, I thought I could fly a plane. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, but they won't let me. But you know, <laughs> As I long could, as it's not link belt controls. <laughs> right. I mean, God forbid I could run this excavator out here. I could fly one of those, you know. But yeah, uh, I was out there for a while, built that, and then we did the half pipe. Uh, the X Games, we rebuilt that. Oh, badass. That was awesome, dude. Like, we moved so much dirt with scrapers and dozers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so we did that for, God, seven months. And um, did the hotel, did the airport, and I mean, did some stuff in Glenwood Springs. That was really my career for four years there. Came back, because things kind of slowed down back there. Um. Had things, let me ask you this, had things not slowed down out there, would you still be in Colorado, you think, or were you kind of itching to come home? I would have stayed, but honestly, the price point for, like, cost of living was out of control. Yeah, that's so, an expensive area. Yeah, like, you can make a hundred grand a year there, for example, and yet you can make a hundred grand here in Michigan, for example. You could buy a really nice house here in Michigan for... 350 grand. Yeah. That $350,000 house in Colorado. Yeah. It's a shithole. It was over $2 million. Yeah. And so like I lost my mind. I'm sitting there driving around. I'm like, I won't buy this house. Look like a $8,520,000 house. I call up the realtor and because they don't have like the price. They don't have nothing right. online before all the technology. I call them up and 
yeah, I said, I want to buy your house. She says, are you qualified? I probably have enough money in cash to buy your house, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeking $800,000. Holy. I literally flipped out yeah. on the phone calling this lady everything but a white woman probably. I was like, <laughs> you guys are so freaking out of your mind. Yeah. I didn't realize I was in a tourist trap. Yeah. I was so young. Yeah. But you'd walk into like Walmart and George Clooney would be there. Oh, no shit. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Like you'd go down to like the Hickory House in Aspen. You'd run into all sorts of celebrities. You'd see uh, planes in Aspen just like flying like the Detroit Tigers and Lions yeah. and Red Wings yeah. and the Bears. Like you'd see these big seven, I don't know if they're 747s can make that airport. I'm not sure. But oh. I mean, they were monster yeah, planes. Yeah, big, big planes. And like one person would get off and yeah. would take off. Huh? Holy cow. Like I didn't realize I had money. no money yeah. To be here. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sitting here developing where you guys live. Get like, the fuck out of here, dirt guy. <laughs> but I remember the one time, though, dude, like this Rolls Royce pulls in and we're in the middle of winter. And, like, I hated my life at this day because I just got done stomping through slop, mud up to my knees, my balls. It was just nasty. Yep. So I go to McDonald's to go get a coffee. And this Rolls Royce lady, like, gets dropped off at the door. And here I am stomping mud through, like, McDonald's. And I hear this foot tapping behind me and this, <clears throat> and like I'd move up to make my next order and this impatient broad that was sitting behind me, just <clears throat> and more foot tapping. I turned around and I said, do you know the difference between you and I? She says, you're taking too long. I said, my $5 will buy the same damn shit as yours, lady. <laughs> And we both eat and shit and piss and everything else the same way as we all do. You ain't no one special compared to me. Yeah. You know, so I was. That's just the people you ran into out there. Yeah. yeah. Like you just didn't belong there, you know, but yet they want their house built and their driveways right. and their roads. So then, uh, so I came back here and uh, went to expect again back for uh Drosher there. And uh, by then he's, he blew up. He grew huge, and I, from Colorado, I had all this commercial side, so I went, built a couple of subdivisions in West Virginia, full-blown balanced uh, um, parts of Pennsylvania because we were traveling doing a government help. Then we went downtown Cleveland, and believe it or not, downtown Cleveland has an old brick main that's like 82 inches big. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're talking sanitary, just so people know. Yes, yes. storm water. Oh, a storm. Yeah, no sanitary. No shit. Storm. It was an old brick main. Yep. And um, we were 75 feet deep. Wow. Downtown Cleveland. Like, you would never even think this. Yeah. And so, like, we cut a trough out and went down and ripped out this old brick main, like, 20 feet at a time. We'd set two pieces, three pieces. And yep. Move them. Slowly go, but if it just even started misting, like, you had to get out. Really, because the there was that much water through like the whole city would just yeah. come through there. Um, so that was the cruise and skill set that I kind of developed. And um, from there, where do we go? I'm asking you, Mr. Furnace. I don't know. <laughs> where, where did you go from there? That's a good question because you got back into logging for a while. <laughs> yeah, because so, when, when yeah. I met you, you were yeah, still there. Logging. We go, wow. God, man, well, this is like memory lane. Yeah. Like 
we're in the archives here. I know. I I haven't you know, heard like any of this Fang history. Fritz out once in a while. Yeah. yeah, I was just fritzing out. I saw that. Okay. Like, <laughs> are you back? Are we good? Yeah, I think so. Okay. We're here. All right. We're good. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So I went worked at the road commission for a few years, plowing some snow, grading some roads. Met a bunch of great gentlemen over there. It's too political for me, so I bounced. Yep. Um, got back into the logging industry, and that's how. Um, mother nature made me meet you. So, yeah. uh, I remember we had a few jobs out there that I just couldn't get the machines to the loaders were freaking stuck. I had, I don't know how much money out in the field back then, but I always bought timber and logged. So this wasn't nothing new to me, but the mother nature, the way the world has changed is different. And I been around a bunch of skid steers and tracks and this and that, and I got these freaking two loader stuck, skitter stuck, semi stuck on these jobs trying to get these logs out. And the next day, here comes like the farmer with this little track skid steer and just starts picking up these logs and moving them out the way. And I'm like, hmm. check this out. Yeah. This dude is picking up three, 4,000 pounds at a time. Not struggling. Right. Little itty bitty machine. And this big ass wheel loader is yeah. stuck. Yeah. So that's when I actually started looking into, uh, some CTLs, and then I ran into a couple dealers, ran into you guys, and you guys actually gave it a shot versus some of the bigger guys just never wanted to mess with me. Yep. Um, tried to buy a couple used machines, and buying used machines like is a waste of time when it comes to a salesman. There's no money in it. The machine's spent. So yeah, Cat uh, John Deere didn't really want to play ball. John Deere dude was a dick. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, you know. um, Just out him. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if there's a button for that, dude, eat a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had. So we do have sound effects, by the way, guys. I don't even know. So we're we're still learning our little. Yeah, there we go. Like, I have no idea what I've got programmed in here because I don't have the window up. But (laughs) yeah. But uh, no. So that's how I ran into you. Went to Tim Horton to like eight at night. Yeah, it was late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was the most expensive coffee I ever had. Yeah, absolutely. And a uh, great conversation. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, so I was looking for multitasking because I was starting to kind of go back to the roots of logging slash getting back into the dirt, um, side of things again because of the demand that was there, the itching. I always did a bunch of side work. And uh, with the way the weather was, like, I could still go make money moving dirt, but I couldn't log. Yeah. So I started really dabbling with a lot of things of, like, it's famine or feast. You got to, if you can't keep the beast eating making money, like, you're in trouble. So that's when I called them. They shipped me you. And uh, we had our good conversations, actually lengthy ones. And. And then I sold you a shitload of equipment for a shitload of money. and Yeah, and I'm still seeking repayment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so. That's all right. That's why you made me work in the mud all last week. That's right. That's, <laughs> that is why, guys, that is why you see Brian out there stomping through that's mud right. and cleaning tracks. It's all payback. And if you ever watch his videos, like Rick's nowhere in the video to be found. Like, I just leave him with everything. Yeah, that's he does why. It, he does it all the time. So he's like, all right, here's the job we're working on. And then he sets me up. He's like, all right, I got to go bid something. Right. And then all and of a sudden actually, I hear his wife's voice in the background on his right, phone. Like, what right. the fuck, Rick? What are, what are you guys doing? <laughs> shh, shh, shh. Brian's calling. Call yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, trying to ride my Harley. <laughs> like you ever notice? Like I always got to call you back. Uh, yeah, you exactly. Can't just yeah, you got to pull over at the next rest. I got to pull over, and then I got to walk in <laughs> yeah. somewhere. It sounds like I'm walking out of a meeting, kind of thing. So that was a really good meeting. We we sold some more business, but yeah, but no. It, um, <laughs> honestly, just being humble and being a good person, and the conversation was just real. Like I asked you what I was looking for told you what I was looking for. And it wasn't like just the price point, but it was your integrity and honesty of you guys even tried to sell me a shit machine. Remember I had motor problems. I don't remember. Yeah. That. You, you and Mike were going to sell me a freaking machine for 49,000. Cause I was looking at, uh, I was, I was hung up on the used market for a while before I bought oh, new. Yeah, yeah. And that was that. Yeah. It was a TV 380 that, that was right there in that age range. And it had, you case yeah. had a bunch of money in the motor and couldn't yeah. figure it out. Yeah. I, and then yeah. I told you and Mike, if you guys sold me this piece of shit, it'd be your last sale you ever Well, made. and I think my counter to that was stop being a cheap ass and why don't yeah, you buck I think up. it was. Yeah. yeah I think it was. <laughs> but you know, when you start cresting over that hundred grand for all this crap. Oh, I know. I know. You know, after you sold that to me. You cried a um, little. <laughs> I was nervous, man. Yeah, I bet. That like, was a lot of debt to take on. Yeah, for someone like me, like I, so I took the $20,000 I had to my name and I wrote it out on that machine. Yeah. And I had that in my personal bills. I had like $7,200 a month to come up with in 30 days. And yeah. I just wrote everything out I had. I had like no money. Yeah. 30 days. You talk about a dude that was on a hustle, man. I yeah, was but at the gone. same time, you you went about it the right way. Like you you were doing Facebook ads, you were doing all sorts of shit to kind of prep the workflow before you actually bought the machine, which a lot of guys don't do. They yeah, just go get. I went and sold a bunch of work before I yeah. took this on. So a lot of guys just go get get a bunch of debt, and then they go, "Oh, oh shit, I got to line something up." So. Right. So I did. I did do some planning. I did do some homework. Um, but I was also trying to create a unique market like what I am in now today. And, um, God, I remember sitting there laying awake at night. Like my wife would be sweeping, sleeping and stuff. And I would remember looking to see and go, what in the fuck did I get myself into? Like yeah. 2000 or it was like $2,200 a month on that machine with everything. So I, if I remember right, it was by the time there. we did the machine and the attachments, you were like 120, 125 deep. Yeah. 125. Yeah. Plus all the shit that I bought yeah. outright. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just remember laying awake on what did I get into, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that's kind of, do you got some grit to you? Do you, yeah. Any kind of character to you? Like, yeah, your back's against the wall, dude. You have no option. Yeah. Yep. So what about you, Mr. Furnace? So I don't have a story anywhere close to that. Uh, I am I am a weird one in the industry. Oh, oh, Rick's about to spill drinks and water Cheers. all over our fancy new podcast setup, and he's going to destroy everything. So uh, I started out, um, man, you go way back. So when you were working out in the field, uh, I was sitting around playing computer games. My dad was a tech guy. He was in the banking industry. Uh, technology was always really important to him. So we actually owned one of the first computers that came out uh, back in the day. Like so, DOS? Oh, yeah. Like I grew up running things off of a floppy drive on DOS. Like it took you like 10 minutes to get the computer to Oh, 100%. On. And then yeah. when Windows came along, like the first Windows <laughs> where you actually had, you know what a GUI is? 
graphic user interface. Wow, dude. Oh, that's what I'm telling you. I know nerd. nothing about this. Tech nerd right here. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, when Windows came out, it was like, it was revolutionary because now you don't have to type in all of your commands. You can just click. But, um, so yeah, I was growing up on computers. Uh, like I said, my dad was in the banking industry. And so for, for the majority of my life, I was pushed. I, I was the stereotypical, um, story that you hear about being pressured to go into college and, Uh, And I've talked about this in a lot of different locations before. That's not anything that I fault my parents for because, you know, for their generation, that was 100% true. Like you went to college Mm -hmm. or you made shit wages. Yeah, but on the same sense of before this chaos came, that was the way. And that's what, yeah, that's where I'm going with this is, is that was reality up until about our generation. Like our generation is when it flipped. And so, um, I grew up working a bunch of different jobs, just piddly, regular high school jobs. As we got further towards, uh, into high school, getting into college, um, my dad went into doing actual bank consulting and was making serious money. And I was like, well, fuck, I'm going to go make a lot of money. I'm going to be a bank consultant. So I went and worked with him, uh, doing data analysis on bank databases. And if you want to know what, uh, what champions bankers are and bank consultants. Uh, my job was to go through all of the bank transactions where people would overdraw their account. And I had to figure out a criteria to determine whether you were one of the good guys that would pay it back. Or if you were one of the guys that we had to call, we had to do what was called a charge off, which is basically, you're never going to pay it back. We're just going to write off the debt as bad. Sneaky, sneaky. Well, where it gets really sneaky is we would feed that into our algorithms. And then we would use that at our customers to determine if Rick Valco is at the point of sale, you know, you're at Home Depot getting ready to swipe your card. Right. If you're one of the good guys and you don't have any money in your account, I'm going to let it go through. But if you're one of the guys that's high risk of being a charge off, I'm going to de- decline you at the point of sale. Oh, wow. And that's how we could increase bankers profits while mitigating some of the losses. And I was the guy that was actually doing that analysis in the background. I was going through all of these transactions and I was running different uh, algorithms to figure out what was going on. So that's my background. So absolutely nothing. Could you not hack it? Oh, is that yeah, why? That's, is that, that's it. I couldn't hack it in happened? that world. Yeah. So, um, so all that to that say, that sounds like a pretty, like legit job. It was. I'd so love to hit the decline button. It, it, I don't even know. I don't even know what sound effect we could give me the decline. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I would love to hit the decline yeah. button and that be the yeah. guy. So uh, I did that for, let's see here. I did that for about a year and a half or so. And then I met my wife and ended up moving to Michigan here, going to college. And, um, you know, kind of similar to our industry where you kind of start start at the bottom of the totem pole before mm-hmm. you kind of climb the ranks. The bottom of the totem pole in the, in, in the banking industry is being a teller. And so when I moved up here to Michigan, I hired in at a credit union and spent, I don't know, eight months or so being a teller and then moved up into customer service, did that for a while and um, hated it. I absolutely hated every aspect of it. I hate, I hate the clean shaven look. I hate not being able to have tattoos. Oh yeah. This is, yeah, this is before banks laxed all their rules. So I was wearing a fucking tie and a button up suit or a button up shirt and like (laughs) slacks, like dress slacks. Right. And my nice, you know, nice shoes. And 
Fuck that. I and mean, we're was, so desperate these days, dude. I would have took you in a heartbeat. Oh, my God. It's, it I'd was been like, the more the tattoos, oh. the less I could pay them. Yeah. Bring them to work. Oh, no, no. This was back when bankers were super uptight. Like, <laughs> like you had to cover your oh, yeah. long sleeve just because you had a tattoo oh, down yeah. here. I had, in fact, wow. I didn't even have my arm tattoo, but had I? Yeah, 100% it would have been. And even then, without tattoos, it was kind of expected that you wore a long sleeve button down shirt like with a tie you, you know that's why that's why i like the way this world is though now i like how people could really express herself with tattoos i do too and that's so so that was you know i had an eyebrow ring at the time that i had every day i had to take that out before i went in i had to make sure i didn't have too much facial hair so i had to shave every couple days you take your tongue ring out yeah that's right only unless i was going to talk to the hr people <laughs> <laughs> here you go that's what she said <laughs> so that's awesome yeah so um so i did banking and then uh just totally burn out like i was just like fuck this i like i don't enjoy any of this other than the fact that there's this carrot dangling out there that i might make a shitload of money down the road and so you know that's the that's the way a lot of this world's been anymore 100 percent. it's all the about way we were growing up it was like the carrot was the college yep right Absolutely. If you don't do this, you won't be nothing. Well, and so we're about to get into that. So, so I'm in college while I'm working these jobs in Michigan. Uh, yeah. So I started okay. down in Texas at uh, it was Southwest Texas. It was Ooh. the party school. I I intentionally chose South. Like everyone else was like, oh man, I got into Southwest Texas, out? and I was like, I got into Southwest Texas. This is great. Yeah. Like I went and fucked around. Yeah. And so uh, we did Southwest Texas, which which that year I was the first class that went in when it turned into Texas State University because they wanted to kind of leave that party that mentality. Like a big deal? It, it was to the school because they thought they were leaving this big party college mentality behind them. Mm. And in reality, everyone just kept partying there. Okay. And it's still known as a party school. So nice. <laughs> So I'm in college. I come up here. I'm going to I'm going to school. I'm working as a teller and everything. And finally, I'm just like, fuck this. I hate this. I absolutely hate it. And, you know, by this time, I'm fuck. I'm four years deep in a six year degree to get my bachelor's. And like, I'm committed. And and I'm just going, why? I don't I don't want this. And so I dropped out of the banking industry. I actually got myself fired. Um, and I'm I'm totally fine with that. Uh, got myself fired in the banking industry. And I was like, fuck, I don't want another banking job. And so I had a buddy that was doing landscaping. And I was like, you know, I've always loved working outside. I like working with my hands. I'll go do landscaping. And I did landscaping for like a year and a half, two years, and ate it up. Just loved it. Okay. And so um, that was kind of coming up on the end of college. And so I decided my, my parents came up for a trip. And they were talking about like how hard it was to find like a reliable, decent yard guy down in Texas. Hmm. I was like, well, fuck, that sounds like a good business. Like opportunity. lawn mowing, lawn, mowing okay. lawn care, landscaping, anything like that. Hey and that's, man. that's what I had been doing this whole time. And so, uh, I decided, you know, I, we, we talked it over my wife and I we were like, which by the way, we got married while we were in college. So she is now my wife at in this college. point. In, okay. Yeah. At this point in the story, she's now my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and so we talked it over and I was like, well, fuck, well, let's, let's move to Texas and try our hand at a landscaping business. And so we ended up moving to Texas uh, tried landscaping and it turns out, uh, there's one day that sticks out in my mind as being like the, the just gut punch of how difficult it is to compete with illegal labor. <laughs> uh, I'm driving through the subdivision. I'm doing these fucking lawns for peanuts. I mean, right. it's just peanuts right. and 
I pull into one of my biggest subs that I've been working. I just been pounding pavement, trying to get these accounts. And there's a fucking guy pulled over there. That's clearly illegal. He's got this little 1985, like Toyota pickup with a freaking push mower from home Depot. Right. That's my competitor. Like no overhead. That's awesome. It doesn't have it. Like he can with do the, like an army of 10 guys. Yeah. That jump and out. He can, yeah. I, I can go in there <clears> and I'm <laughs> scraping the bottom of the barrel at like 40 bucks a yard. And this guy can go in and do it for 20 and he's he's good all day long. I'm wow. just like, fuck this. Yeah. That's like difference between eating ramen noodles and steak. Oh yeah. You yeah. Were, you were and this guy was ramen. totally good yeah. eating ramen. And so, uh, mm. that was the day I was kind of like, fuck this. I've got to do something different. And, and money in my business account was really dwindling. And so we totally shifted gears and I got into window cleaning, believe it or not. And there's good money in window cleaning. I was making a fuckload of money. The problem is the only reason I didn't stick with it is because I had literally drained my entire account marketing for landscaping and lawn care, and I ran out of money before window cleaning could really take off to sustain the business. Got I was that. getting I was getting between ten to fifteen dollars a window down oh, in yeah. Texas. Yeah, and you want to do some really quick math? Go count how many windows are on your house, because I guarantee you, if I make you guess right now, twenty. I I bet you're low. Like most people, when they think about how many windows are on their house, are generally like four or five if not 10 windows lower than it actually is. Now you're going to prove me wrong, you know, because we're in the middle of a podcast. But generally, if I ask someone how many windows are on your house, they're like, I don't know, like maybe 10 or 12, 10 or 12, maybe. And then, you know, especially on these houses we were doing in Austin. Um, So we would get into these houses and they're like these five, $600,000 houses. You're talking, there's windows, you're 20 to 30 windows on a house at 10 bucks a window. Like you're talking some coin. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you can crank out two or three houses in a day. Like it was legit money down there. So how didn't you make the bank account grow? Uh, because I was out of money. Like I was out of living money. Oh. And so uh, ended up folding up shop. Oh, you mean you got to live off your business? Yeah. That's kind of oh. like the ultimate goal, I would gotcha. say. You know, yeah. um, so, so <clears throat> when we folded up the business, I was kind of just floating all over the place. Uh, I ended up going to work for Home Depot. I was, uh, mm-hmm. I was an orange apron for a while. Gotcha. Uh, started out in the garden department and was quickly promoted to a department head of plumbing. And then uh, they realized that I was actually good at multitasking and managing. And so they very quickly moved me to be over uh, lumber, building materials and millworks, which is your doors and windows. I ran all three of those departments. And so I did that for. Oh man, I want to say like a year and a half. Uh, I worked at Home Depot running those three departments and uh, it was miserable. You know, Home Depot does not pay. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. Home Depot pays shit. And so uh, I ended up doing that until my dad went into manufacturing, believe it or not. Like he had this business idea. He wanted to go dabble in where we made pedestal fans, like the, like the fans that sit on the floor and they're about, you know, chest level when you raise them all the way up we were making these fans that would that had an adjustable second set of blades on them that you could get closer or further away from the from the fan blades and it would actually change the sound that the fan made and it was to help you sleep better and so when he started that business he needed someone to run the operations side of the business so i came in as his operations manager actually set up our supply chain uh got all of our prototypes made up uh just kind of arranged getting everything into the business. And I did that for, I think about eight months. I totally filled out our, 
our workspace where we built the fans. We, my wife and I actually worked together and designed our assembly line and, and where everything was going to go and where all the screws and nuts and bolts were going to be and where we we're going to store everything. So after about eight months, uh, sales were super, super slow. We had already kind of processed through a bunch of our fans to where our inventory was built up. And so, um, I spent a lot of my days just kind of hanging out because we were waiting on sales to pick up. And so while I was there one day, bored out of my mind, I was like, fuck, like this whole time, which by the way, we didn't even talk about the whole college aspect of this. So, so before I started my lawn care company, uh, this was kind of right around that 2008 time where we came out of college Yeah, and you know, college you're supposed to come out. You're supposed to have a job just waiting for you. You're going to make 60 to 80 grand a year because you went to college and you get that extra earning potential. No, fuck that. That's not what happened at all. So yeah, but you, it was a big push for doctors. Well, no, nurses well, and teachers. I, yeah, sure. I guess you could say that, but what, what ended up happening is we came out of college. You know, my generation was the one that came out of college. And for the first time, there weren't jobs waiting. No, there wasn't. Because of the economic crash, what happened instead is I was going up against mid-level management that had been laid off because of the economic downturn. Yeah. And so now all of these positions that should have I should have been a shoe in for, now all of these positions wanted me to have 10 years of management experience. Right. And, right. and that was to make 45000 a year. With a college degree. With a college degree. I'm going to make 45,000. You weren't even old enough like, to have a management how degree. How the fuck am I supposed to, <laughs> you know, how am I supposed to pay my college debt back? I'm 60 grand in debt at this point. Yeah, but people back then used to be able to work at like Kroger's forever. Right. And be like, and you can sustain nine, yourself. Yeah. Whatever. Yep. And then they became like that department manager made right. a living. Right. You got screwed. Oh, yeah. We're, uh, starting with our generation, that's yeah, where we, we really started short. getting the stiff dicking. Yeah. yeah. That's when that's the tattoos true. came out <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, uh, <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's kind of all of the sudden, all of this hard work I had put in to get this college degree that was going to set me up for life turned out to be an anchor. Like it was literally an anchor. My wife and I couldn't buy a fucking house because we were paying a mortgage payment in student loan debt. And by the way, student loan debt, you can't get rid of it. No, you can't bankrupt. You can't file for bankruptcy and get rid of it. It follows you for the rest of your life. And so like all of a sudden this big, this big thing that was going to lift me up was just a just a giant anchor around my neck. So anyway, fast forward, we go through the sleep fans thing and everything. And I'm sitting at my desk one day and like, I can't get a fucking management job anywhere because of all of the shit with the downturn. Uh, like, I'm just like, what do I want to do with my life? And I'm sitting there one day and I'm watching a YouTube video because that's what I do in my spare time is watch YouTube videos of guys operating equipment. Okay. I've done it for, I've loved equipment since I was a little kid. My first word legit, like not even showing off for the podcast. Legitimately, yeah. my first word was backhoe. I used to go out with my great, that's my great grandfather. That's why you love running on backhoe. Oh, fuck backhoes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I used to go out in the oil fields with my great grandfather. Okay. And the reason I love doing it is because there was always equipment out there. And so I'm watching this video. I'm like, why the fuck don't I go into construction? Like, I've always wanted to do this. It's not like I'm making fantastic money now. Like, fuck it. I'll take the plunge. So I came home and talked to my wife. I was like, I think I want to go run equipment. And I have to say, Melissa, my wife is so supportive. She didn't even hesitate. She was like, okay. I said, look, I'm I'm probably only going to make like 12 bucks an hour starting out. She was like, we'll figure it out. And that was it. That's awesome. So I went and started applying and within... 
three days, I think it was. Like, I felt terrible because I had to give my dad owns the company I'm working for and I had to give him three days notice. I was like, dad, they want me to start the day after, like the day after tomorrow. I, I won't be here. I'm sorry. He's like, well, it is what it is. That's that's what you got to do. And so that was really like my dad was really kind, too, because he didn't give me any shit for that. He was like, no, I understand they want you to start. This is what you've decided you want to do. Go do it. And so I started out running a rock truck. Um, I was running off road dumps and then uh, we moved to a job site where we were running quarry trucks. Uh, I was working for Ranger Excavating down in Texas the year that I hired in is when they built the circuit of the Americas, which is the F1 track down there in Austin. That's awesome. So uh, I got to be there for kind of the ground floor of that whole process and that, that whole job. And then I got moved to a job in, uh, in a little town called Florence, which kind of just an, uh, an interesting little factoid about this job. It's this little dinky town. It's a good one. Oh, it's a good one. I'm telling you. So it's a little town in the middle of nowhere, but it happens to be between Austin, which was the big party city. Okay. And, Fort Hood, which was the military base. And, and if anyone's in the military listening to this, you know exactly what Fort Hood is. It's the biggest army base in the U.S. And what would happen is, that's right. That's right. And so what, what would happen is all these guys would go to Austin for the weekend. They would get totally shit-faced and they'd be driving back to base and they'd be flying through this town of Florence and they cause accidents and they kill people in themselves <laughs> to the point that the base commander was like, you cannot go through Florence. You cannot take this i-95 wow and so uh the state actually decided that they were going to do a highway bypass around the town of florence because of these military guys and so that was the project i was working on uh and that's where i got my first real taste of like what being in a big job site was we had a 385 that was loading out our rock trucks uh there was a d11 pushing all the all the rock down to them uh we had a 988 loader that was moving material around i mean everything on that job was fucking huge and, and that's where like, I had this sort of passion for the industry. Like I always loved it, but that was where I was like, okay, this is fucking awesome. I'm, this is what I you were want, in this is what I want to do for the rest of my you life. You had this the is, grease yeah. on you, the oh, mud on the boots. This is so was awesome. It. Like when the fuel truck, the, the, the fuel and lube truck would pull around, you'd have these fucking machines all gather around and it felt right. like you were standing in between buildings. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that D11 would track away and, and you you're literally ground. fucking bouncing on the ground. Cause it's so heavy. Yeah. And uh, we were doing blasting, so I got to, oh, yeah. you know, get involved with the blasting and everything. So it's just awesome. So I did that for, I think I worked for them for two-ish, maybe a year and a half, two years. And uh, by this time, uh, Melissa was really wanting to come home. She has a big family up here in Michigan. And so we collectively made the decision that we would come back, back up here to Michigan. And so uh, that was kind of an interesting experience, too, because I'm going, okay, well, I got to find work right like, quick. So I got on Craigslist. Was and it seasonal down in Texas? No, was it, it was year, year round? round. Yeah, Texas was year round. Michigan seasonal. Yeah, Michigan seasonal. So, yeah. so I ended up getting on Craigslist and contacting a guy up here and saying, hey, uh, I'm not there, but I'd like a job because I'm going to be there in two weeks. Would you be willing to give me a shot? And he's like, well, I tell you what, get settled. Come see me like a day or two after you get into town. I was like, okay. So I sent him my resume and everything. And he's like, yeah, everything checks out. Why don't you just come meet me? And so um, I went and met him uh, like literally the day after we moved into town. And he's like, yeah, start on Monday. Awesome. And and I started as a laborer and I spent the next probably six months, eight months, somewhere in there, strict laboring, no seat time. Um, but that's where I learned 
everything. I mean, that's how I learned how to read grade rod and use a laser. That's how I learned how to do, you know, water and sewer taps. That's how I learned how to dig flat. That's how I learned how basements are dug and how to regrade and like everything. But You're that's learning. what builds the guy's character from 100%. the bottom to the top. 100%. You can't do from the top to the bottom. Yeah. And, and you're in trouble. And I've talked about this multiple times on my channel too. Like I wouldn't trade that experience for anything Never. ever. It's just so valuable. And so, um, within about six ish, eight months, somewhere in there, um, he started giving me some seat time and I picked up the machines pretty quick. And within a year I was one of his, I was probably his top operator. Um, he, in fact, he ended up buying a new, a new ish. It was a real low hour D five K and that was my machine. Like no one else ran it. It was on my trailer every day. I was the one that took it out to do finish grades because I was the guy that could do the finish grades in the company. Uh, I was digging basements on occasion too. And so that's really where I cut my teeth on on real legit equipment. Um, and so I worked for them for like two and a half years. He was kind of grooming me to take over his of it as his kind of foreman running his crew. Mm. Um, but it was one of those situations where it was a tiny company. They weren't paying shit. You got the experience, but the money didn't follow. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so that's understandable though that's about how a lot of the smaller mom and pop shows it are. is it's a it's a great stepping stone yeah one of the best stepping stones absolutely and so uh i had the conversation with him because my wife and i found out we were pregnant at the time i said look i gotta make more money and he's like look this is as high as i can go and i said i i can't live on that i can't support a kid and and try to get a house on that and he's like oh i totally understand so I went and applied for some bigger companies and got in with Dan's Excavating here in Michigan. It's one of the largest contractors here in Central Michigan. Um, and again, kind of learning that humility. Here I am, top, top dog at my company that I'm at. And I hire in running a concrete breaker. Thinking fucking concrete breaker. Somebody. Oh, yeah. I thought I was going to be somebody. And I, I get hired in to run a fucking concrete you breaker. You were going to be the bitch. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I was the bitch. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what you hired in. Yeah. And so... Uh, so I got on that concrete breaker and uh, no lie, a year and a half. That's all I did. I chased this concrete. Like the concrete breaker and the excavator? No, that's what I thought. So that's where I fucked up. Mm, so that's, you, thought you, <laughs> you thought you were getting the hydraulic. Exactly. I was like, fuck, AC, I'll run a breaker. E. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I'm, I'll run that all day so long. So how do we break here? Concrete I sh- dude, I, oh, Brian. fuck, dude. I, sh- I showed up that first day. And I'm looking for an excavator, and there ain't an excavator sitting there. There's just this <laughs> this truck with this giant weight on the back of it. And I was like, well, what in the fuck is this? Drive around until it falls yeah, apart? Yeah, it turns out that's a drop hammer. And that fucker, it's got a weight that weighs about 10 tons. In fact, if you guys want to hop on dieselandironproductions.com, uh, we will have a blog page there for, for the podcast. I will post a picture of this machine. Uh, it, is, it is a 10-ton steel weight. And this machine raises it up about six feet off the ground and then free it free falls. And the weight of this thing breaks the concrete. Every time that fucker hits. And you're inside. Oh, my God. Every time that fucker hits, it feels like someone slams the bottom of your feet with a baseball bat. And that's what that's what I did for a year and a half. For, well, that first year, especially I was working seven days a week. Wow. Uh, I didn't see my first day off for th- like 32 days. And then we got a holiday because it was a national holiday. And then we worked like another 30 something days. And then we got one more holiday. It was seven days a week walking beside that concrete breaker. I would cover. So actual concrete broken. Mm -hmm. I would break probably a mile and a half to two miles a day. But that's three lanes wide. Right. So you're actually, you know, 
back and forth, back and forth, back. I'd walk fucking eight, eight, 10 miles a day uh, yeah. with that thing slamming my feet. And, and ultimately that's what got me off the machine. After about a year and a half, I started having real bad, like knee pain and hip pain and stuff after oh. long days. And I finally got on with him and I was like, fuck dude, you got to take me off this machine or I got to go someplace else. I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go have surgery because you guys won't move me off of this machine. Right. And so um, that's when they finally started branching me out. And I got on with a foreman who threw me in a loader, never ran a loader before. And so I spent about a week and a half, two weeks just getting my ass chewed because he was one of the old school foremen, too. Like so like they're yelling was talking. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Like in and, and heaven forbid you do. I remember distinctly this guy just he would chew my ass about everything. And finally, I don't know, I'm probably four or five weeks in with this guy. And, and we're on this road job. I'm fighting through traffic. I'm running a side dump bucket so I can, I can pee stone the edge mm-hmm. drain. And so I'm, I'm fighting through rush hour traffic in, in Detroit. And I go and I'm, I'm fucking flying pee stone in. Like I am sailing. I'm even though there's traffic, that's how like I was doing a kick-ass job. Right. And he calls me up and she's like, what the fuck? Where's the fucking pee stone? I told you to get fucking pee stone. I said, Don, I'm fucking pee stoning down here. He goes, I told you to fucking pee stone here. I said, God damn it, Don. You told me to fucking pee stone down here. If you wanted me down there, you should have communicated that. You should have communicated that more clear. And then I clicked the phone off. And that's how and, you got respect. Exactly. Yeah. From that day forward, he didn't talk to me like that. I had a hard hat hit the helmet once, or uh, the glass once. No shit. And I had a foreman coming right. Like, you couldn't tell what he was saying. Yep. But spit was flying fucking oh, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So I stepped on the pedal. I'm like, I better get going faster. Yep, yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, I finally, I just had enough. He took me to the the breaking point, And it was when I bucked, bucked up at him <clears throat> and told him it was your fucking screw up. It wasn't mine. Right. You I'm doing what, what you told me to do. I called him out. On, and from there on, he talked to me in a totally different tone. And so I ended up working for him for, I think, a year and a half or so uh, to, to the point like I made a big enough impression. So the way it works here in Michigan, I'm not telling you, Rick, but for the audience, the way it works here in Michigan is everything kind of winds down towards the end of October, kind of mid-November. And then if you're worth anything, like the foreman's already got you lined out for the following season. Uh, if you're not worth anything, you just kind of go back into the pool of employees that they give you a random call in April and say, hey, show up here. If you did better than the guy before. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, I, I made a big enough impression with this guy, even with all the screaming and yelling, uh, that he he came over at the end of the season and said, hey, I want you back out here first thing in April. You're going to be one of my first callbacks. So that was that was kind of my first introduction to uh the the back pat in this industry like that was a huge pat on the back which is rare which is rare and yeah. and like <clears throat> there was no actual pat on the back it was just hey i'm gonna call you out next year but that was like to recognize it for what it was that was huge and so uh i ran for him for like a year and a half and then i was doing a good enough job i filled in on a couple pipe crews and a pipe crew really liked me and they picked me up and i ran with those guys for about a year and a half and that's where i got my pipe experience and uh, so, yeah, I worked for Dan's for five and a half years, I believe. And in the meantime, uh, during that duration, I ended up having two kids. And here in Michigan specifically, you know, the trades are like this all over the place. But specifically in Michigan, where you got the short work season, you just don't see home during the work season. Dark to dark. Yeah, it's dark to dark and it's <clears throat> six to seven days a week. And and uh, 
every old timer I ever talked to on jobs, their biggest regret was not being there for their kids growing up. And and one day I was just like, fuck this. I'm not going to be that guy with the, I'm not going to be the old timer with the regrets. And so I came home and and started talking to my wife just about my desire to to find something where I could, you know, I'm passionate about the trades. I want to stay in construction. But I can't pull these fucking hours. Like I want to watch it from the window. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. That's the thing is, you know, we all know it gets in your blood. Like you can't leave. Like once you're in it. Yeah. Once you're in it, you can't leave. And so I'm like, how the fuck can I stay involved in the industry? But at the same time, still get to see my kids grow up in the daylight. Yeah. And so um, that's where I kind of touched back to my consulting days is I had some sales experience and I was actually pretty good at it. And I was like, well, fuck, why don't I go see if I can get a job selling equipment? And so, um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, believe it or not, I have my office in this room we're recording in right now. That's awesome. And I, I sat down on my computer one day and I threw out an application just totally like just randomly found it that they were looking for a salesperson here in Michigan. And I was like, fuck it. I'll throw my hat in the ring. And I, I sent off the application. This is a true story. No exaggeration. I sent off the application. I pushed my keyboard in. And I walked across the basement to go get a drink of water. And I'm at the bottom of the stairs, 20 feet away. And my phone rings. And I was like, no, there's you no fucking way. There's show. no fucking way. This is like total animation. No, no, no. I'm telling yeah. you right now. There's This is yeah. no exaggeration. I'm like, there's no fucking way. And I look at my phone <clears throat> and it's an Ohio number. This is an Ohio-based company. And I was like, no, there's no way. And I answer the phone and they were like, uh, is this Brian? And I was like, yes. And she's like, yeah, this is so-and-so with Southeastern Equipment, which is the company I applied for. She's like, I just uh, got your resume. I was like, no, there's no. I said, I, I literally just got it from the computer. She goes, you hit the timing just right. I literally sat down to my computer from coming back from lunch. And I was like, what in the fuck? I didn't say that, but I'm like, internally, I'm like, what? And uh, she goes, yeah, I, I went over your resume. You seem to be a perfect fit. I want to set up a res- or, uh, an interview. And uh, I did an interview with those guys. And... <laughs> Come to find out this company uh, would drag their feet about everything and extend it out. But they did that with the interview process. And I was so eager to, to get rolling. Uh, I really hit it off well with the sales manager here here in town locally that I just started showing up to work. Like before I was officially on payroll, I was like, fuck it, I'll come sit in your office and you can start teaching me. And then they can backdate my wow. check because they they took forever uh, to to process all the the paperwork and get me on board. And so they did. I, I came in, I spent like a week and a half in my manager's office doing sales deals and, and learning the whole process of selling the equipment, how to approach customers and how to keep track. And, and, uh, then they ended up backdating me, my pay for that week and a half that That's I did awesome. that. So I sold, I sold equipment for two and a half years. It's how I met, you know, Rick, he, he came in looking for a skid steer and, and we ended up working out a good deal. And he and I, I became buddies and, and now I fucking work for him while he rides around on his Harley. That's right. And so, and so that's kind of, that's, that's how I got into the industry. That's how I got, I got all my experience. And then now what I do for those of you not familiar is I am a YouTuber. Um, I'm a freelance operator. So I work for Rick most of the time, but I do have a couple other contractors that I fill in with. Um, but my primary passion, it has become trying to generate excitement and get guys into the trades because we're hurting so bad for it. And so when COVID hit, uh, I had a lot of issues with the way Southeastern did business and I was very vocal about those things. And so I laid my head, uh, 
on the chopping block and put a bow around my neck for them. And so when COVID hit, they were like, hey, buddy, you're gone. And so I was like, okay. And because sales were super cyclical, um, my wife and I had always had a, a decent savings. We had about 10 months in the bank of savings. And I said, look, I've had this YouTube channel for like six years where I would just randomly record shit and throw it up there so people could watch. Like I used to watch those, right. those shows. And so um, I said, why don't we go push that? Because I've got like, I don't know, at the time, I think I had 1,100 subscribers with zero effort. And so I told my wife, I was like, why don't why don't we go make a run at it? Because we've not only got the savings, but we've got COVID money coming in because I got shit canned. Um, I said, let's go make the best of it. And she was totally on board. And so uh, I started the the YouTube thing and it's kind of morphed into what it is now to where it is an educating platform and it's kind of getting people onboarded into the industry. And then uh, Rick started working me, uh, you know, a nice amount. And so I vlog that. I have a second YouTube channel that is a vlog style over the shoulder where you kind of get the in a life in the day, a day in the life. How yeah. the fuck you're supposed to say it? Um, a day in the life of view of an excavator operator. And then I also, it's just another training tool where you can kind of see in real time, you know, what Rick and I are thinking about and how we're approaching this job and why we're doing it this way as opposed to another way. And so it's really turned into a fun thing. Um, I would say so. Yeah. And, and so now to be able to start the podcast up, this is just another way to get more content in front of guys and get them more excited. And, and the goal with this one and, and Rick and I both talked about it is, isn't even just to get them in excavating. It's just no. the trades in general need <clears throat> stuff focused on the trades. It's such an, yeah. And it's such an We're overlooked hurting. thing. It's just, no one cares about the trades. No one really remember, gives a shit about them. I remember back in high school, dude, Remember when the calculators were a big thing, but Ooh. you couldn't use them and they'd make Graphing us go. calculators? Yeah, but Ooh. they but they made us go long. Oh, yeah. You form. still had to. Oh, absolutely. You right? couldn't use You'd one to, to test. You have to use five fucking pages oh, to get yeah. like what the calculator could do in yeah, 30 right, seconds. Right. I remember a math teacher the one time pulling me to the side because I was like passing with like a D plus. Yep. She's like, you can't rely on that calculator. And I was like, look at me now. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, but it's always right. And she's like, you're not going to ever amount to nothing. Oof. She's not there no more How today. How many of us have heard that? <clears throat> Told me I was going to amount to nothing. You can't count that calculator. And she's like, what happened if it dies? I, said, I go buy some fucking batteries. Yeah. Thing works nonstop. And it moves millions of dollars. <laughs> A calculator. Yeah. You know, but yep. it, the trays are hurt, man, from every, every top bottom guys pouring concrete the roof into electrical and plumbing to truck drivers the guys are bringing the crete to the crane yeah. operators to yeah us in the construction dirt side of it i mean there's so much of it's just hurting well and, and the knowledge gap like from the old timer yeah. to the new guys yeah like i hit the bottom wave of the guys that just like knew what the fuck they're doing from yep. experience now as technology is like trying to make up that gap that people don't know but they're starting to understand right you know so i that would just be nice to get a lot more content and a lot more terminology and a lot more information out there to everybody and all sorts of trades and yet still have a lot of fun and give the guys in the seat just as they're driving to work or home just something to laugh and talk about and relate yeah. and yep. kind of like because it does get lonely sometimes on those late hour drives driving home it's not like you're so chipper, like, hey, I'm going to call Brian on the way home and ask him a bitch about how my day is. Or right. you get off the phone with your wife and everyone's just exhausted. Like, 
you don't want to dump on your significant other. So right. just to turn the radio on, yeah, hit a podcast and just listen to guys with real world life experience, just chatting, having a good time. Yeah. Well, not only that, but in the cab too, like a lot of people don't realize they think cause you're on this job site with a hundred other guys that you're, you're constantly in communication, but fuck, especially when I was running loader, like, like that's a pretty lonely job at the end of the day. Cause yeah. you don't get a lot of interaction outside of, of people blowing up your phone because they need something like you don't ever talk to anyone because you are constantly on the go and you're always in, in the yeah. cab of your machine. Like everyone else is outside shooting the shit. The excavator operator's got his front cab yeah, over. They're all having a good time as you're yeah. beating your head on the window. Exactly. You're yep. fucking running your ass off to the other end of the job because somebody needs more edge drain or someone needs another pipe or, you know, whatever it is. You got right. a truck driver that shows up and you got to tell them where to dump. So, and you can um, only listen to the same fucking song like five I was about times to say, a day. Fucking Nirvana. Remember like Ricky like, Martin and shit oh, was big? Yeah. Oh my God, dude. Doing the <laughs> Levita Loca or that shit. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Like, yeah, it was like the it, top five hits and they'd play it on the hour. Well, but uh, well, you still got that oh though. You God. tuned in. Well, we all know that most of us in the trades listen to the classic <laughs> rock station. So you're either going to listen to Nirvana or Led Zeppelin or, or, uh, I'm having a brain fart here. What's Metallica? Some of the, yeah. Metallica. Yeah. Like what are some AC, of the metal? But yeah. Like that's it. You get 10 songs in rotation and then you want to blow like your if the loader off. guy opened the door and Elton John was playing, I'd rip the fucker out of the cab. Like, See, you got to go. You know, that's you got to go, dude. I don't Seriously. know why you're shitting on Elton John. Like that's pretty rough. I'm shitting on the loader guy. That's listening, listening to, to Elton, Elton John. John. You wouldn't hear me listen to Elton John digging mainline. Maybe you would have dug a little better if you were I'd listening be more to like, Elton John. Walk this way. <laughs> Talk this way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, so we're we're almost an hour and a half on this one. So I think we can pretty well wrap this one up. Yeah. So we're going to uh, we're going to start putting these out consistently once a week for you guys. Uh, they will just only get better from here. This is kind of us just kind of getting a feel for the flow and everything. So we do appreciate you guys listening. And we will catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grind. Later, guys. Yeah.